Are you ready to get real? Welcome to Real Estate, the world's loneliest career, where you're always out of balance, unfulfilled, the role models are fake, the numbers unattainable, and you're just supposed to be and do it all. Join three self-made millionaire real estate agents, wives, moms, and business owners as we level up, learn from special guests, and elevate and disrupt an entire industry through real education our way. Hey guys, Kristen here with the Home Girls. Hey. Hi. <laughs> we have on the show today Francisco Lopez, um, also known as the greatest salesman in the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, we are the greatest salesman in the world. <laughs> um, we are super excited to have you on today. I've been following you on Facebook, and I will have to say that you are by far the funnest, um, outgoing, don't care realtor in the world. And that's why we want you on the show. We, we love that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Of course, of course. So I have to read these random facts about you because I think they're pretty funny. And I, this, this shows your personality. So I'm going to read them really quick. Hilarious. Go for it. <laughs> random fun facts about Francisco. Couldn't stand little kids until I had three boys. Yep. <laughs> you love mountain biking. That's too normal. You can't say that. That's too normal. Yeah, but it, it just meshes well with the rest. Okay, okay, okay. Only have one yeah. working testicle. <laughs> one thing led to the other. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> all right. One, all three things are related. I get it. I get Is it. Is this like <laughs> like two truths and a lie, and we're supposed to figure out like which one is the real one? <laughs> yeah. Too much mountain biking led to only one functioning testicle. <laughs> I was gonna say, is there like a segue between the two or? Yeah, no, but you know what? Even with even with that, there's always the three boys that still, so it's luckily one is enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay yeah. Francisco, um, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your team. Tell us about yourself. Um, yeah. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I got into real estate, um, 2009 is when I got my license, but I started doing it full time. It mostly because I tried it and I realized that it wasn't until uh, I pulled the trigger on taking the risk and going all in that business didn't actually grow. Regardless of that, I mean, I've been in sales my, my entire life, um, literally since I was a kid. My grandfather was a traveling salesman. My father was a salesman. And so to me, it's one of those things that I, I'm very proud to be called a salesperson. Another little fun fact is that when I joined real estate, my first broker had name tags made and it said uh, realtor or something like that. And I said, no, I wanted to say salesperson. And she's all, no, you don't want that. It's like this negative connotation. And I'm like, no, I'm proud to be called a salesperson. There is a difference between being uh, a schmuck, you know, and an ass and somebody that just wants that quick paycheck to being a professional salesperson. And, uh, and that's, that's me, but I just changed it recently. I, I, for years, I called myself the greatest salesman in the world. Um, and it's not because a lot of people DM me when I started using it, they're like, oh, that's pretty cocky, you know? But, um, if you've ever read the book, there's a book called the greatest salesman in the world. And if you've read it, that's where that name actually comes from. 
Um, Ogmandino, right? That's exactly yeah. right. Yep, yeah. Ogmandino. So Ogmandino wrote that book in the early 1900s, and I discovered it in 2007, and it changed my life. Um, so after reading that book and taking into really, really um, deep inside all of those 10 scrolls and the 10 habits, um, then it's like, okay, in order to be a great salesperson, more than anything, you have to be a genuine, loving person. Um, that's where that comes from. But, uh, but yeah, uh, my team is very simple. Um, I have a really simple team structure. I have uh, just mostly staff, like hourly staff, and, um, and I manage uh, most of the sales. I have a couple of agents that are just in different areas, a little bit further away from where I'm at to manage buyers and handle buyers, but uh, uh, all the listings go through me and uh, my VIP clients, uh, I work them. And like I said, I have a uh, full-time assistant, full-time TC, full-time marketing manager that help me with everything that I use to grow the business and market myself. So did, so you own some restaurants too, is that correct? Yeah, I own a couple of restaurants. Um, I own a couple of restaurants. Like I said, I've my my whole life i mean if if you want to get down to the nitty gritty and um, i'm going to share with you since you want to be totally off limits and the statute of limitations has passed um i'm going to share with you something that i haven't shared with anybody on a platform like this uh which is my first business i ever did um and it was illegal and i was 13. <laughs> so i was in mexico city um and I discovered my much older brother's porn stash. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh my God, what is this? And I had this um, VHS recorder at the time that I could record from one to the other. So I convinced my parents to take me to Costco to chess tapes and I started making duplicate copies. So basically I pirated the movies and I started selling them at school to all my friends. And I made so much money that I bought myself a really nice bike. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I did it for a long time. But then uh, when we moved to the States a year later, uh, we, came to the, we came to the US when I was 14. Um, came to the US, I get into high school. I managed to bring my equipment and I started trying to do that here and I got caught. And it was bad. I was, I mean, this teacher caught me the, uh, with my, with my films or whatever. And she's like, what is this? And she's, she scared the bejesus out of me. She's like, you're going to go to jail. This is, you know, you're selling pornography to minors. And I'm like, oh my God, you know? So I stopped, you know, I never did that again. Um, I, in my mind, I had no clue that it was such a bad thing. I need to know what kind of pornography though. Like, uh, I mean, it wasn't like really, really bad, but it was triple X. Um, it, was it wasn't like Cinemax where you would watch the boobs through like the snow. No, 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 no. That's I why he made uh, so much money selling it. Cause that's all anyone else got. Yeah, no, I, I had the legit, the legit material. It was good stuff. <laughs> so this might be my favorite story anyone's ever told on here. And the fact that it's you makes it even better. Okay. Like, I don't even know how to segue into my question. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, but so it. you got caught. What happened after you got caught? 
Um, the teacher was actually the the teacher was actually really really cool. Well, she liked me. She was, I mean I was a good student. Uh, I, even though I was kind of a kind, kind of kind of a mess and I did all kinds of crazy stuff, I always had good grades. The heck, on my ninth grade, which was my first year in the U.S., I was uh, the second in my class. Um, I had like a four point six GPA, and uh, I was all in honors classes and everything. So my teachers liked me, but I was a mess. Um, and then they, they kind of let me get away with stuff. And she did, she told me, you know what, I'm not going to say anything. Please stop. If you promise you'll stop, I won't say anything. And I did, you know, I said, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I, I won't do this ever again. And, and that was that. Um, but it was, it, it was kind of my introduction to the world of business. Um, after that, I always, I was always dabbling in something. I always wanted to. You know to what I love about this? We've had like big dick real estate people come on this show and be like, I started my first business at nine and it was a lemonade stand. And then we had another one come on that was like, I started my first business at nine and I sold newspapers. Francisco's like, I started yeah. mine at 13, sold porn. I started mine at 13 with eight millimeter snuff porn. Beat that. Yeah. <laughs> Pirated porn. Right. Yeah. No, it was, it, it's funny because now I think about it and I'm like, oh my God, I have, my kids are, my youngest is 13. And I look at them and they're so nice and such good kids. And I'm like, man, the things I was doing at that age. Right. You know, so, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that they're, they're very, very good kids. Very calm. Well, so I don't know if I want to know this answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> what are some of the things that you used, um, you know, sales tactic wise as a young kid that you probably still use today? <laughs> <laughs> I always search for people's needs um, and you want to fill people's <laughs> needs and what better place to sell porn than a place Middle full school. of puberty <laughs> fair enough you're, you you're know, I mean, honestly, an actual hole uh, yeah yeah. Uh, yeah I mean with the exception of selling that <laughs> I wish you guys could see on the other side of my computer, um, my 11-year-old is sitting here adding an app to his phone right now going. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> He's heard worse. I'm his mother. That's something that you, like, focus on in your business, in your real estate business. Like, what are some of those? Um... From, the, from the book? Yes. Um, my absolute favorite, and I started practicing this because like I said, I, I read this book in 2007 and I was in the auto industry back then. Uh, I was the, one of the managers there. And um, you know, when you buy a car, you go on a test drive, you come back and you sit down, the salesperson takes your application. And then some other guy comes in and beats the heck out of you for hours. I was that guy. I was the guy that beat people up for hours to try to close the deal and maximize the profits. Um, in the auto industry, you have a lot of feet, like really aggressive uh, responses from clients. They're already upset. They know what's coming. They don't want to go through the process. They would very often be aggressive and eat, right? So the second scroll in The Greatest Salesman in the World talks about love. Um, and it says about how if you look anybody in the eyes, and without saying the words, you simply think, I love you, you break them down. It doesn't matter how pissed off they are. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Um, it doesn't matter the, 
anything. You simply look at somebody straight in the eyes and you say, in your mind, I love you. And it breaks them down and it works. And I, I do that all the time. That's something that I apply in every argument and every debate and everything. And I'm just, and, and it, it, it puts people in a position that they're more open and more receptive to listening to what you have to say. And you have to say it, you have to think of it in a way that you actually mean it. People can be different from you and not agree with you on anything. And you can still have that place in your heart to say, hey, I love this person. Like, it's cool, you know? And it works. It really, really works. Um, uh, the way, if, if you've ever read the, read the book, it's very poetic. Um, it, it talks about it in a way that it's beautiful because it, it talks about how the people can have the strongest weapons, but love will be your biggest shield. And whoever has the biggest shield, love will be the thing to break it down. So it's, that's my favorite. That's, that's my favorite one. Aww. Yeah, that one and, and scroll number six, scroll mark six, which is everything passes. Always have a smile on your face because no matter what, everything, everything passes. When business is thriving, business is really doing good, don't get cocky and don't become an ass about it because it will pass and you will suffer more if you do. Uh, one of those uh, downward uh, cycles, don't cry about it because it will pass too and you will bounce back. It's about emotional control, maintaining that um, even keel you know, throughout life, no matter what happens, just always keep smiling, always maintain that, that attitude of everything passes because it's, it's 100% true. Uh, when you've gone through crazy ups and downs, you 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 really take that to heart and you're like holy shit that's 100 percent true you know so so those are two the, those are my two favorite scrolls from the book yeah so i want to go into I, I asked you earlier about you running restaurants so i'm curious yeah. did you start your real estate career first or the restaurants first what what led you to restaurants um so, so the restaurant thing kind of came out of nowhere by accident. My, my wife worked at a juice bar when she was very young and uh, she knew how to run it. And in 2010, it's actually a really cool story. I have a whole, um, if you go to my YouTube channel, I have a whole video telling the whole story about it, but I'm going to summarize it real quick. Um, we had just gotten come, kind of getting back on track after losing everything. We, we ended up in 2000, towards the end of 2008 and 2009, we ended up homeless with the three boys. I mean, we lost everything. And um, literally to the point that we had like $30 in our pocket. We had no idea what we were going to do. No income source. It was, it was bad. Um, I started working at a car dealership uh, again, and I, we were kind, but it was, it was a really tough time for every industry. It was, there was, it, it was really challenging. And in my mind, I was blaming the economy and all these other things that were out of my control. Uh, and that led, led it to be tougher to get out of that slump than it should have been. But I learned, never going to happen. That's never going to happen again. Um, and like I said, you go through these things and you learn from them, right? Um, but in, in 2010, I hear a conversation from, a, from uh, a friend of ours that says, hey, this business is bankrupt. We... We don't, we've got to get rid of it. They, and we knew the, I knew what restaurant he was talking about. It was like a little juice bar. And at that moment, literally had nothing to lose. My credit score was like 430. Um, we were overdrawn in our bank account. How much, like how much you want for it? And he, 
he was like, dude, just pay whatever is owed in back rents, which was like $15,000 and um, give me a little bit of cash and, and we'll call it a day. And I said, okay, cool. And I had no money, but I borrowed money from friends. I borrowed credit cards from an uncle and we used that money to uh, buy paint at Home Depot and repainted the place. Um, and we started just kind of working it while I was still working at the car dealership. I would go in the mornings, I would go door knock businesses and promote the restaurant. And then in the afternoons, I'd go back to sell cars. Um, I negotiated with the people that the rents were owed to. Um, they, you know, to transfer the lease, the lady looked at me like if I was an idiot, because I'm like applying for this lease with no income and a 400 credit score. And I told her, I told her like, Hey, look, what other choice do you have? Just give me an opportunity to bring it back to life. Uh, it's been there 11 years now. So, um, it's, and it's been a great, great little business, uh, super loyal. Um, we've gotten it to the point that we go there maybe once every three months, if that it just runs itself. It's an actual good business. Um, and, and like I said, it came out of nowhere. It was just, it, it was just, just, just that, just the, a willingness to work and the knowing that you have nothing to lose. So we're like, screw it. Um, and, and like I said, look, if you look at the whole story on the YouTube channel, you're going to love it because uh, I couldn't have done it with like two or three key people. And that's why I always say that there's no such thing in life as a self-made anything. It doesn't exist. Nobody's self-made. If everybody says, oh, I'm self-made, it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not true. And there's kind souls that come out of nowhere that, that when you least expect it, they're there to, to give you that boost. Um, and that's what happened in that situation. There was a few people that you would never even think, I, that didn't even know me. That's that really helped me. So it was really cool. So that just so, that just yeah. That's how we got into the restaurant. That brings. Mm -hmm. That's the whole reason why I asked you because I knew about that YouTube um, video. Oh, thing. cool. That's why I asked that. And my point of being there is because when there's a will, there's a way, and that 100%. that poses that poses my question to all of you: Are salespeople or sales? men is it made inside of us like are do we do we do we grow it or are we born with it you know what i mean because it, it takes a, yeah. it takes a special kind of person to be a salesperson it really 100%. does let's be real and you're sitting there with no money in your account you're living on the streets and you're like yeah let's go get fifteen thousand dollars into debt not even know where it's going to take yeah. me even though i'm more into debt I think, I think that we're born with it and we refine it through trauma and difficulty. <laughs> and, and honestly, that's how we sharpen it. And in my opinion, that's what separates the best from just kind of like the average because you can't teach hunger, right? Yep. You can't teach hustle. I actually kind of hate that word, but you, you can't teach that stuff. So I think, I think you're born with the ability to be a good salesperson, but then I think something happens in your life that forces you to like go all in on it. That's, uh, that's a great perspective. Yeah, I agree. I think that probably all of us come from sales in some way. Um, I think pretty much every realtor kind of does, right? I mean, the ones that are successful anyway, like a lot of us have been servers or whatever, and that's sales, whether you think of it that way or not, it's 100% sales. 
Um, my very first job was selling phone service business to business in New York City. Um, so that was like a really fun, hard job. But learning how to get past gatekeepers and like figure out what the need was and solving the need, I think that that competition with the other people in your company, like really makes you stand out and helps you in the future. Like I think back on that and I still have friends that I had when I worked there before and they're all in real estate. So it's kind of funny um, that we all went from selling these like shitty phone service stuff um, to all of a sudden now we're all running huge businesses in real estate. And I think it's just a testament to the fact that we're all salespeople at the, at the, end of the day like that's where it all comes from um and what separates you is the drive and what caused that drive I think yeah agreed um it's funny friends that I consider magnificent salespeople, um but none of them leave the auto industry to go into real estate it's too risky um it's fun because in the auto industry or if you're selling mattresses or if you're selling jewelry you have one key element that you don't have in real estate, which is people come to you for whatever it is that you're selling. They walk through the doors and now all you have to do is present the product and negotiate the price and close the deal. Whereas in real estate, we have to cons consistently be out there uh, searching for these people, right? So I think the ability to sell can be taught and run it as a business is something that you need to have the gut for. Uh, not everybody has the the that gut element. I you know I think you're born with it. I, I see it in my three boys. They're so different. My middle one 100% has that instinct of hunger and wanting to do whatever it takes. And uh, he runs circles around his uh, brothers in terms of negotiating with them and getting his way all the time. And it's just because he, and it's not even about him uh, wanting something specifically. To him, it's about knowing that he won, period, and that he got his way. That's it. Um, so, so yeah, I think you're born with it. I think it's something that's either you have it or you don't. You can teach certain elements. You can teach scripts. Mm -hmm. But that hunger doesn't, uh, it's, it's hard to get it. Um, but it, it's, it's tough to transition from not having it to having it, I think. I think it's really cool, though, that you know this stuff, right? Because, like, growing up as a high D in my house, that was very, very bad. <laughs> and everyone in my life tried to literally beat that out of me wow. versus now I'm raising a high D and I'm like, you love it. Fucker's gonna own the world, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. very, like a lot of people, a lot of schools, a lot of places would try to put your middle son back in the box. But because you know what you know, then you're saying like, fly, little Heidi, fly. But I think I totally think you're born with it, and I think if you're in an environment where people can't see the positives of it, because it it can be tough, right? Yeah. Um, but. You, you have a hard time growing up that way. Um, I was just gonna say that I think that so many of us have like this, we have to be this perfectly coiffed human, right? And we can't really let people see who we really are. Letting people see who you really are in sales is exactly who's gonna bring you the people that you want to work with and that will make you successful. Like so many people I listen to them talk. I have a prime example in my head of who I'm talking about. And like, 
Do you know contracts really well? Sure. No, not me. Karen, listen to her, talk to her client. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I thought you were going to say people who aren't like fully out as themselves on Facebook. So I was like, me? <laughs> but, no, okay. I'm meaning like when you see them in the world with people, it's like they're a snail, like dragging behind somebody simply to get the commission. Even though they're saying that they have, you know, they're trying to build a relationship. It's so inauthentic and people sense that. And so I think like, that's one of the things that I really like about you you are who you are and it doesn't matter. You're either going to love me or not like me and that's okay. I'm going to attract the right people into my world because this is who I am as a person. And I think that I would love to see more people be that ballsy about just embracing who they are and, and knowing that everything's going to be okay. <laughs> a million percent agreed. Um, you know, my dad coming from old school sales I grew up with him telling me always, don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics, don't talk about things that are controversial because you want to maximize each and every opportunity, right? So for, the, for a long time, I kept that standard in my head, especially in the auto business, you know, you get people coming in and whatever. And I would add those people. So what I started doing, I started using social media when it was barely starting for sales. And I would add every single client I ever had in the auto industry, I would take their picture, add them to my Facebook and uh, add them as friends and post their picture, tag them. And it's funny because then in, uh, I, I had two Facebooks, right? I had my personal one, which I could post whatever I wanted. And then I had my business one where I was very professional. The one that you guys see today is the one that was meant to be the professional one. <laughs> And it just evolved into me. All of a sudden, I started realizing that I wanted to be who I wanted to be. And I was going to say what I wanted to say. And the crazy thing about it is that so many of those people that I sold cars to 15 years ago are buying houses for me today, literally, because they still are my friends on Facebook. They Oh, they like who I am and they like what I stand for and they like what I do. Um, I read a book. It's actually right here. I'll show you. This one here. I don't know if you can see it. The dot-com secrets. Mm -hmm. Have you read it? Mm -mm. Uh -uh. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend. Mm -hmm. um, this book talks about the importance of being polarizing you want to have that polarity in your, in your marketing. You want to be genuine because like you said, and you nail, you hit it on the nail. It is such a beautiful business working with people that you like because they like you for who you are. Right. So it's just this, it's this organic mesh that works well. And now all of a sudden you're working with a bunch of people that you're having a good time with that you, that you're being yourself and you're able to joke about what you want to joke about you're able to talk about what you want to talk about. And the level of trust from all parties just increases tremendously, you know? And you have to do that, like I said in the beginning, it, it has to be real. You can't fabricate this stuff, you know? You, you, because if you try to make it up for it and you start to please everybody, eventually it's going to clash and they're going to be like, man, who is this person? You know, like, I don't like, I, I don't like who, who this person is and I don't like, really working with them and they're they, you might close the deal but it'll never be it'll be, never be nice it'll be more complicated 
um, you know, it, it'd just be a tougher transaction, period. You can only be a representative for so long before the real you starts to trickle out. So like, just be you out of the gate. Yep, 100%, 100%. Um, I follow you guys, I see what you guys put also. And I, I love that, uh, another thing, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here with homegirls. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I've listened to a few of your podcast episodes and um, and I think that way, way you're doing is cool because it's, it's just this group of women that uh, are producing at a high level and are doing their thing, but they're doing it in a genuine, authentic way, which is awesome. You know, you can't, you can't beat that. Um, I see it all the time. I know, I know people in the industry that are so phony and I, I, I see them in person and I bump into them at events or whatever. And I'm like, dude, you're a jack. Like, <laughs> like the things that you post have nothing to do with what you're doing here. Like get, get out of yourself, but whatever. Yeah. You if know, I ever know. show up wearing a pencil skirt and like my hair done, I'm a big faker. <laughs> I love a good pencil skirt. Yep. <laughs> but that's you. I'm rolling through in yoga pants with my hair in a bun. Let's do this. <laughs> yep. Yeah. How do you gotta be so, what did, what? that's one thing for me i'm i'm so against suits um why do you have to make it uncomfortable i mean what if i what if i have to jump a fence to get into a house and show it you know like <laughs> i want to be in jeans and a t-shirt like leave me alone or shorts you know don't make me wear a suit <laughs> well, if it were up to me i'd rock a onesie every day at work <laughs> you need to just logo one with your logo and then yeah, you can you let's do that we're gonna yeah, just toys onesie yeah. Isn't, yeah. It, isn't, it, isn't it weird how our society has changed? Like I'm, I'm going to be 36 in a couple of days. And I was taught growing up, you go to an interview, you dress up, you go somewhere nice, you dress up. Now I, uh, here I am, you know, into the world, have my own businesses and I never dress up <laughs> ever. Yeah. And like, I still do it to this day. Like when I ha when someone comes in for an interview for my team or, or I'm seeing somebody come into the office for an interview, they're not dressed up anymore. And I'm like, I'm not going to lie guys. Like I look at them or like, man, they're not dressed up. And then I was like, well, I never dress up either. So, yeah. you know, like at what point did society change where it's okay to dress how you want to dress? I'm going to go with March, 2020. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I just yeah. love like I love a good dress and a good pair of shoes. That's just who I just don't. And then if you catch me on the weekend, I love a good pair of ripped denim shorts so much my ass is hanging out and a swimsuit. So like, I mean, I, I go both ways, but I think that you guys, I just, I like dressing up, I right. guess. Right. We hear all the time how the, is it the DRE in California? Is that what it's called there at the DRE? How like, yeah, the dairy. how like hardcore they are out there. So how do you stay in line from like a, I've got to keep my shit together so I don't get a commission complaint and in trouble standpoint, but still maintaining Francisco with the really fun name to say, and this is who I am and this is what I do. So how do you balance those two worlds? So uh, one is that I, I'm very, I'm a big believer in intention. Um, I will never do anything or say anything with the intention of hurting anybody. 
um, or uh, or may or really truly, you know, I upset people with what I say, but it's just my point of view. But I will never do it intentionally to hurt somebody. To be specific about hurting a particular group or somebody that. Um, <clears throat> on top of that, I work with in a brokerage. My license is saying with a brokerage that's badass and the owner and I are good friends um, and they've always had my back. I've had complaints. I've had people complain, whatever. And they always, they look at it. They call me. It was like, Hey dude, did you post this? I'm like, yeah, dude, it's hilarious. Oh my God. <laughs> and that's it. Um, so I've never, I've never been in a position that um, I do something so stupid that I'm, that I'm in trouble. You know, usually, um, like I said, I push the limits, but never with ill intent. And I think that's why uh, I can manage that. You just did, did you do a year in your RV? Uh, no, your... four months. Four, four months. months. Four months traveling. We lived in it for six. So, uh, and we were planning on, so so we, we bought some land uh, here close and we were planning on, well, we still are, we're building a, a property there. And our idea was to stay living in the RV for a period of time while we built that. Plus, with the RV, we were really comfortable and we were living um, on Ocean's front property for two grand a month. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Um, but, uh, but my wife had an accident. I don't know if you guys saw on, on Facebook. My wife, she also mountain bikes and she went on this trail with a girlfriend of her. She went down a 50-foot uh, cliff. Um, and she hurt herself pretty bad. So she couldn't, she had, you know, broken bones everywhere and she had, she couldn't be in the RV. She, she couldn't shower in the RV. She couldn't, you know, crawl into the bed space. It was just too uncomfortable for her to recover in the RV. So we ended up, uh, we actually ended up just renting a house here locally while we finished building our, our place up in, in the mountains. So were you working while you were doing the RV adventure or was the team running stuff or like what was, how did you manage to take that time off? Yeah. So for the longest time, my team always knows, and that's that they know that my number one focus in building a team is to be able to have the time to spend with my kids. Uh, like I said, in my fun facts, I hated kids when I was growing up. Like when I was little, I was, as a young adult, it's like, yeah. But then I had my own and I was like, man, these are cool kids. These are cool things, you know, you can play with them. And um, like all of a sudden it became a fun thing. And now I love, I love hanging out with my kids. Um, so that was one of the biggest reasons why I left the auto industry so that I could have that flexibility in my schedule. I'll probably work more hours and I'm always on the phone and I always communicate with my clients, but I, but I do it on my own terms. I can go to every soccer game if I want to. I can do the trip like this one. So I've always structured my team in a way, like I said, everybody that's on my team is hourly. Um, not many people, hourly plus bonuses, right? But this way, by having people hourly, uh, W2, I know that there are hours in the day that things are gonna get done, period. It's, it's just, it, that's, the, that's, that's what I like about it. They were able to continue with, um, gifting people I'm a big gifter I'm big on gifting and doing raffles so I'm constantly raffling big screen TVs and uh barbecue grills like big things people that, that that people were like oh man that's awesome you know um so what I did throughout the trip uh I'm in Utah I took a picture with the family 
Uh, and that's another thing that we were talking about being genuine and being yourself. Like so many people in the industry and lender friends of mine were like, dude, if I was you, I wouldn't say anything. Just go on the trip and pretend like you're still here, you know, or whatever. And I was like, no, I can't do that. So what I started doing instead is every month while we were gone, wherever we were at, we took a picture with the family, the car, the RV, or wherever we were at. And we sent it every month. We sent a postcard to my my VIPs and my sphere. Um, and they loved it. They were like so happy to get those postcards from Utah and Oklahoma and New York and Florida and all this stuff, right? So I uh, love that. So we closed, uh, I mean, I did sell a lot less than I would have, than I, if I would have stayed, but I was happy that I, I closed personal nine deals while I was on oh, the trip. So are you, do you have other salespeople on your team or? I have, uh, yeah, I yeah, have, uh, three agents on the team that, okay. um, are full commission that just, like I said, they, they help me handle the buyers or. Uh, like overflow of buyer leads and they help me or whenever I'm not here they can help me with uh, things that involved a licensed agent to do you know I tried building the big team years ago and I, I wasn't a fan of the structure it was too much I was like no I, I want to keep it small but highly productive right yeah. right I, I like that, that you don't want to build a big team because I think our industry, people get hyped up wanting to build that huge, massive team. And I don't think they realize um, how much it takes. And honestly, I think smaller teams do better than bigger teams, honestly, in my opinion. I'm very curious on what you, what you want and what you think the future of real estate is going to be. What do, you, what do you want it to be? What do you think is going to happen with the future of real estate? Um, it hurts to say this, but I think that the real estate industry, as we know, it is, is going to come to a, to a big halt in a few years. I think we still have a few years left to really enjoy it and take it for what it is now. Uh, a few of us, I think, are going to be in a unique opportunity to still help uh, clients that appreciate the type of service that we provide, especially for higher end clientele that like that personal touch, that they value the experience more than the paperwork. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, I think if we tailor our services to that, we will last longer in the changing uh, market. But there's definitely a shift coming. Um, it happened in the auto industry. It happened in the electronics industry. I remember, I, if, you got, if you remember Circuit City, mm -hmm. <laughs> I loved going to Circuit City because the people, the, the salespeople at Circuit City were badasses. Mm -hmm. They knew everything about any product you asked them, and they were professional salespeople. And they could tell you anything. And they made $120,000 a year selling electronics at Circuit City. But then Best Buy came along and started paying $13 an hour. But they, were mad, they would advertise match pricing or whatever. And it sucked for Circuit City because they, people would go to Circuit City, learn everything they needed to know, and then go to Best Buy and just pick it up from an order tape. Mm -hmm. Right? <clears throat> and that's, that's what I always say. There's a huge difference between being a salesperson and an order tape. Uh, 
there are some people like myself and many of my VIPs that appreciate a salesperson versus an order taker. And they appreciate that knowledgeable um, person on their team, basically. Basically having somebody that, <clears throat> that knows the product in and out and provides good communication, is honest, looks out for their best interest. That's something that you're never going to get with a <clears throat> digital platform, right? Digital platforms are going to ruin that, that part of it, unfortunately. And it's happening right now. Sellers don't realize how much they're leaving on the table. <clears throat> Sellers close the deal and they feel happy that they saved a, a few bucks on commission. FISBOs, they close the deal and they feel proud that, oh, I sold it myself and I didn't pay a commission not realizing that they're leaving so much money on the table if they would have hired a professional. And the biggest challenge with it and the biggest challenge that agents like us have is that there are so many agents in the industry that are completely worthless, that an iBuyer is better than them because they have no clue. I just put a deal in escrow. <laughs> Literally, you know, I was representing the buyer they were representing the seller. And if she left $50,000 on the table for the, for the agents, for the sellers, easily, easily left $50,000 on the table. Um, and she literally said, oh yeah, you know what? I, I just don't want to do any more showings. Send me whatever. She, she allowed three showings in this market. And that was it. And we were the winners on that, on that transaction. And I kid you not, I was like, you got to be kidding me. But for me, I'm like, hallelujah. You know, I'm so lucky. My clients are freaking thrilled, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I just, like I said, um, I couldn't believe it, you know, but people do that. Agents do that all the time. Either they're lazy or they think they know so much. I, I think in this case, I think that it's, I think I know so much and I, there's no way I'm going to get more that I'm happy to provide this for the sellers or heck the sellers are happy with this. So I'm happy. I'll get a paid a commission and the sellers won't know any better. The sellers will never realize that their agent totally screwed them over. They never will. Never. And that's the frustrating part. And that's the frustrating part. They never mm -hmm. will realize that if they would have hired a guy like me to sell that house, they would have had $50,000 more than their pocket. <laughs> Guaranteed. So I just had a situation where a seller was referred to me and they're going through a really, really nasty, super contentious divorce. Mr. Seller that. wanted to hire me. Mrs. Seller wanted to hire a girl that is a part-timer that she works with. So he's going to buy. So I'm representing him on the buy side. I ended up not representing them on the listing side because I didn't feel like fighting for it because I knew she would be really rough. So he shows up to look at a house with me on Sunday. And I asked him how they did on the sale. Their house was priced at $515,000. They had one showing and they sold at list price. And I literally looked at him and I was like, how did that happen? And he goes, I don't know. The first weekend she told us it was because of the weather. And then the second weekend she told us it was because I was having an open house and no one wants to show up during an open house. And I was like, 
Um, you do remember when I sat with you at the table and told you I was going to get you 600, right? Like it's just, and they, they shall never, they never know the difference. Like it's unbelievable no. to me. Like the divorce, it, it becomes more of her getting her way or him getting her, his way. Um, yep. it's about regardless winning. Regardless of the outcome. Yep. It's, it's about winning in their mind, you know, not realizing that they're, I, I'm dealing with one right now that I actually ended up canceling the listing because first they, they each called me individually that they wanted to sell the house. And they're like, I don't know if the other person's going to agree. I'm like, Oh, that other person already called me too. So yes, they, you guys agree that I'm the, I'm the one to help you. Once we start the process, all of a sudden the husband realizes that, you know what, he wants to just buy it out and keep it. I'm like, okay, cool. But now they, they they're, they're fighting over, the dollar amount right because she knows that if he she puts it on the market mm -hmm. she's going to get a lot more for it and he's trying to go off of like an appraised value mm -hmm. and they're asking me for my opinion i'm like dude the, the only way to really know is by putting it on the market it's just so crazy you can't take uh an appraiser's opinion seriously you have to put it on the market and i even offered to do that i said look I'll put it on the market. I'll get a bunch of offers for it. I'll present you with the highest one and you and, and, and you decide to buy it at that. Pay me a flat, you know, 5,000 bucks to do all the work and I'll cancel it afterwards. Like, no worries. But this way you'll know for sure what you're getting. They ended up agreeing on a number after I explained to them how that could work and if they save the money on the commissions and that was that. And I'm happy to walk away from that because like you said, it's it becomes a problem at, at, in the end. You know, and it's just really weird to me when, uh, when you're going through a divorce and, and you're fighting over 5,000 bucks or two thousand, just get it over with, you know, why do you want to keep fighting? Just get it over with. Um, but yeah, somebody has to win always. Well, Francisco, thank you for coming on our show today. We would like to have you, uh, we're going to do more classes in the future. We would love to have you on. I think you have great value, um, and your attitude and your personality is great. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing yourself with us. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was really nice of you guys to think of me and invite me a few months back. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> um, like, man, they're organized. When I have my podcast, my dude, it's such a full-time job running a podcast. It's such a pain because you have to prep and you have to schedule it, especially with four of you. I don't know how you do it. Um, I, I had my Same time podcast. every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had my, we might, we might be better off hard. selling pirated porn. Cause it is, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I could sell pirated porn really well. Home girls gone wild. There you go. <laughs> That's All right, hilarious. So thanks guys. Thank you, so much. Thank you. Congratulations on your show. Keep up the good work. Angela, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all realtors and would love to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Connect with the Homegirls on social media at The Real Homegirls Podcast.